LinkedIn to me is none of us are saying something brand new, but what we're doing is we're continuing conversations to expand on the next step, expand on the next thought. When you are able to continue a conversation from seeing somebody else post on LinkedIn, what you're doing is you're actually merging onto the highway, the LinkedIn highway of content flow. If the platform already wanted to talk about it, you're continuing the conversation. That is different than just sitting in a conference room in a bubble, deciding what you want to talk at the audience with. Welcome, I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. This episode is a little different. Our guest today is Judy Fox. Judy is a LinkedIn expert. She started actually using LinkedIn as a business development person and became so good at it that she ended up turning her career into being a LinkedIn consultant. And she's a very well-known and in-demand speaker on the LinkedIn topic uh, at many conferences. You probably have seen her on LinkedIn. So what we're talking about today is number one, can there be authentic networking and how can it be done? And then how do you build an authentic presence on LinkedIn? So let's just dive right in with her story. I normally do my introduction in the recording before, but I want to do the introduction with you because I, I want to acknowledge um, the role that you played in the launch of this podcast. You are the person who suggested that if I really wanted to hold myself accountable to launch the podcast and at the same time start building some traction, I should start talking about the process of building the podcast on LinkedIn. It was almost three years ago. It was in, I think, April of 2020 when we had this conversation and the podcast launched in 2021. So thank you for being such a pivotal person at the beginning of this. I was going to say watching the journey is so... like I love where you've landed. Like That's the point is... I feel like I saw you get feedback from your community and it became more of a conversation, which is authentic leadership. <laughs> exactly. I want to start by introducing you to our listeners. So if you want to tell us about yourself, what you're doing right now, and then talk a little bit about the journey that got you to where you are here. Yes, I will start by saying I got my degree in chemical engineering and that's how I started my career, mainly because... I went through school in the 90s, and back then you could not Google or you could not research on the internet opportunities or what, if you didn't know about a job, how would you even know that it was a career option unless you were exposed to it somehow? So I was exposed to engineering because of my dad and my sister, and I just thought that was a great decision to make. I stayed in that space in the engineering world, got my master's degree in business sustainability. And that's how I've transitioned to being now online business and running a company called LinkedIn Business Accelerator because I grew my own engineering consulting firm on LinkedIn. So using all the skills to generate and run a business that is not a LinkedIn business translated really well to teaching people and showing people how to run a business on LinkedIn. You started, you said your career in engineering and you worked for engineering firms for a while, right? 
Yes, I worked for Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. I have been in different departments, including business development and sales and having to have the seller doer role. So if you sell the project, which I sold a project to Tesla to re-permit and move a smelting machine, which is crazy to think about with it in California, moving chunks of equipment and manufacturing is not easy. So to win that project and to, like I said, having it set up for the next business to come in is everything when you have to sell and do the project and actually perform the work is very, it's a different role when it comes to consulting and business. How do you start figuring out what you really liked in the work and like maybe also thinking about how you presented yourself to people and and came more into your own as who you are right now? The moment of clarity for me came when Along my career, I had really good management and leadership that I thought I was, wow, learning so much or getting getting beyond the day-to-day work, but actually how to actually live a good life, how to live beyond the nine to five, how do you create a life that you love? And I had really soaked that up from a lot of the leaders I had until I hit a leader and a management ladder that above me was to me very toxic and I had never experienced that before. And so it was probably close to, it happened in 2014. So I had already been working from 1999 until 2014. And that's when I hit one of my first toxic managers, which I feel very blessed and lucky to have made it that far. But I didn't even know that world existed and I didn't understand it till I was in it. And that experience made me open my eyes to what I really wanted. It's almost like coming up against the pain of realizing this is impossible. I cannot, I felt like I had concrete blocks on my feet when I was in my car driving to the work. I was like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And then I couldn't get out of the car. And then when I got into the office, I was on edge for the whole workday wondering when I was going to get yelled at. I was getting shushed in meetings and I was a senior manager at this company running projects and running millions of dollars. And I was feeling like I was in middle school or something. It felt really horrible. And my worth as a human being felt really degraded and I couldn't live with it anymore. So I would say the number one thing is, unfortunately, that is... That happened, but the positive that came out of it was realizing I cannot do this. So it almost created this explosion of, I will give no more care around what anyone thinks of me because I will break out and do what I want to do. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like almost like if you're so degraded, the opposite came true in my life where I was like, I will be wearing my fox ears I will be as Judy as I want to be. I will stop caring because at this point, how could it get any worse? I will just be the full authentic version of myself and come to work and just stop caring. If you want to fire me, fire me. Like I was done because I couldn't live it anymore. And so for people who may be in a similar situation, maybe not an extreme environment, but in a place where they're not happy with where they are, what are some of the steps that you took into getting out of the situation and finding the strength to take action and, and start anew? 
I would say step number one is I was very lucky that I had already built my own Judy Fox Consulting as a brand, as a business. I had launched that in 2008 when the economic crisis happened. And now we're in 2014. I didn't know the future. I didn't know that the gig economy and the freelance economy and everything that was going to come. But I am beyond grateful for that moment in 2008, seeing how quickly businesses can let go of employees by building that moment and that brand and having Judy Fox Consulting created a baseline for me of I'd already built it from 2008. So I had something to go to. I didn't need that job. And as a single parent, I felt the pressure of needing a steady income, a um, health insurance from a Fortune 100 company. But I realized, and the way I realized was I hired a coach. I hired a relationship coach, somebody that could help me see the relationship that was happening between me and that management team. And was I seeing things correctly? Or was I bringing my own lens to the situation because I was being constantly told like I'd never experienced that. So I was saying to myself, how could I have gone this many years in corporate and had so many great experiences and so many great bosses? Did something happen? Did I change? Did I like, am I difficult to work with? You know, that kind of feeling where you have to double check and get an outside trusted voice. And so she came in and part of the journey of working with her helped me unlock what I ended up posting on LinkedIn. So that actually, I didn't create any content for a very long time. And she was one of the people that literally unlocked my voice. And one of the quotes that will always stick to me to this day was she said, what you focus on expands. And I know that sounds like such a simple quote, But every time I thought about where my focus was going, was my focus going on the current job that I have or was my focus going on what am I building for the future that I will love? I need to have my focus there because this is the now, that's great. But I don't want to put focus there because I don't want more of that. I want more of a future I can build. Okay, you said that it was important for you to have a consulting business when you made that decision. And I believe you said, that you started Judy Fox Consulting in 2008. So let's trace back a little bit the story of your consulting business. And let's start from what was Judy Fox Consulting like in 2008? It was an environmental sustainability consulting company. So the steps that I took, which I realized because of LinkedIn, were the strategic networking. And the number one step was realizing as a small business I would be more powerful and more impactful if I collaborated and connected with other small businesses. So I identified either CEOs or leaders out in the space that were running their own environmental consulting businesses and potentially maybe only offering, I was doing air permitting and sustainability, and I would check all of their employees to see if they had any gaps in air permitting and sustainability. So I would be able to give them my CV, set up a meeting. I remember the CEO of one of the companies I reached out to, I got a warm connection because of LinkedIn. I was able to schedule, as I was driving through Pennsylvania, a meeting with him at a Starbucks. And we sat down for about an hour. He looked at my CV. He talked with me for that hour. And he said, 
we were, we're going to create a contract and a relationship. We created a contract before he had the work. So we were able to then pitch companies as if I was part of their team to supply the work and the results for the client. So I think a lot of people don't, a lot of people think on LinkedIn, oh, I need to go straight to the work. Sometimes you can go to parallel businesses, you can go to peer partnerships, and there's so much there that we forget about, and that is even more impactful and powerful and easier to grow a business. Yeah, and this is just another example of the great advice uh, on LinkedIn that you have, and we'll talk about this in a little bit. I just want to stick for one more second to the story of your own business, and I'm interested in when did you transition from environmental consulting into LinkedIn training and consulting, and what were some of the key moments in that shift? Yes. So right around when I mentioned 2014, that's when I realized I needed a change. I could not stay within that leadership, but I wasn't ready to go back to being an independent environmental consultant. There was just something I wasn't seeing. So what I did was I transitioned to a small women-owned business that aligned more with my vision and what I was thinking. And I also was so excited to be a part of the business team. It was a company of less than 50 employees. So, and it was being run by this amazing, inspiring woman. And I was like, I want to work there. So I set my sights on that, got that job. So that was my transition out of the toxic corporate leadership in the Fortune 100 company I was in to then working for the smaller company. And with that transition came getting active on LinkedIn, which I finally was using my voice. That was what I mentioned with that relationship coach. The second thing was doing business development and sales and really having that role be only on me and one other employee at this company. So to be in the spotlight like that and be so responsible to bring in the work for this business, that's when I started creating that model of this LinkedIn Business Accelerator, where I was like, okay, step number one, I need to make sure my profile converts. Step number two, I need to set up strategic relationships. I don't want to cold call people. That's not where this... I have so many relationships in the industry. I need to figure out how to leverage who I already know and talk to who already I know. The third thing was, how do I get some visibility on my content? How do I warm up the relationships. And then the fourth one is how do I make it sustainable and lean on my sustainability degree? So that was the start. (laughs) So what I'm hearing here a little bit is also like the forming of a really a genuine identity and your own voice, if you will. Yeah. Having that freedom within a company, it did afford me to delete the pressure of, I need to get the business. I, there's always pressure within a company, but Because I was part of this smaller team, it was more intimate. It was more impactful. I felt the results of my work immediately. I mean, obviously, when you win a contract for a major business and result, you get it right there. It's very tangible. When you're in a company that's a Fortune 100, it moves us slower. (laughs) And I really loved that feeling. And I think the second thing is, is it made it easier for me to see myself running my own business. I maybe hadn't had that visually represented to me until I saw a woman running her own business. So I think it's really amazing that you sometimes have to see yourself and other people to be able to know it's achievable. 
what was then the transition out of this business and company into back into your own? What were some of the goals that you set up for yourself and sort of the vision of who you wanted to be in this new environment? Yeah. So the first step was I went to part time and I was, I think it was, it was definitely tough in the sense that the company wanted me to keep going and they saw me getting a lot of success posting publicly. And I think that's where a lot of employers can start to have a moment of, oh no, our employee is getting individually, they seem to be getting a lot of visibility. Yes, our company's getting visibility, but we want to network people to people. We don't network with entities. We network with people who are, that's why we hire influencers. That's why we want a person to talk about to the brand, the product, everything. It's that human authentic relationship building. And I was doing it on LinkedIn to such a degree that I was being asked to speak. And I think that was the tipping point because I'll never forget being asked to speak at Video Marketing World. And it was a moment where on stage, I shared part of my story and I was still working for this company and I was part-time at that moment. And at that moment, it tipped over. I ended up getting shared by a tweet was sent out from the event. And that tweet got shared by Gardner. He was the man who Will Smith played in the movie Pursuit of Happiness, if you remember that movie. He has an audience of, I think, over a million followers. And that tweet spread out to the point that I saw my post on Facebook. I saw my face on LinkedIn beyond my own posting. And being on stage in that moment and having that tweet go what I consider semi-viral and getting shared by these big accounts, it launched me in bigger visibility. So when I came home from that event, when I spoke with that company, that's when I chose, I'm going to go full-time in my business. It was literally two weeks later that I said, I'm going to go back to Judy Fox Consulting and create LinkedIn Business Accelerator, which is what I'd been running behind the scenes for years. I just had never publicly put it out there. Which brings us to today, and in full disclosure, for those who haven't figured it out from my introduction, I have taken the LinkedIn Business Accelerator class with you and found it incredibly helpful, and this is actually why I invited you to be on the podcast. There's a general misconception that the process of networking and building relationships online, it's an artificial process, it's inauthentic, and it's fake, and it certainly can be all of those things. But the process that you have followed yourself and advocate for people who are part of your program is actually a process that in a lot of ways is based on being true to yourself and be authentic. And so if you're willing to share some of your secrets with my listeners, what I'd love to do in the next, you know, five or 10 minutes is this. For somebody who wants to expand their social presence on LinkedIn and form genuine business connections, what are some of the key steps that they should take? What should they be thinking about? You know, where should they start? I would say the very first one before you go outward is a moment of inward leadership voice and coming from a place of you are not defined by being a leader because somebody gives you a title and somebody says you're a leader. You truly are a leader because you decide you are a leader in yourself. And authentic leadership to me is moving from needing somebody else to tell you you're leading. So 
Step number one is believe you are a leader no matter what title you have. Doesn't matter. No matter what level of the business you're in, no matter what your age is and what your experience is, you are a leader in your space. And the second thing is, is your voice of leadership. I always think that's really important because we know what it's like to just lead ourselves and talk to ourselves in our own head. And when I'm talking negative to myself, that is not leadership. <laughs> that is bashing myself and being down on myself. And yes, we all go there, but catching that and just recognizing that you have a leadership inside your own head and how you talk to yourself will sometimes show up how you talk to others. So if you can reframe that, one of the ways I reframe that is thinking about through the leadership triangle, which is opposite of the drama triangle. So you can create a curious leadership voice in your head. Oh, there's a story called Acres of Diamonds. The point of that story, and I heard it when I was really young, was if I can just gloss over it and you'll have to listen to the original because it is much better than what I'm about to say. You may go to a faraway land and try to dig and find diamonds when in reality, the property you are already living on, the brain you already have is full of diamonds. You don't need to go anywhere else. You already have the diamonds inside of yourself. That is the point of that story. That's what I took away. <laughs> so this idea that you already have your leadership voice, you need to just decide, do I like asking curious questions? Do I like telling, if I was going to sit with my friends and my friends ask me, how did you do something? Do I like breaking it up into mini steps to tell my friends to say, oh, step number one, go do this. Like, how would you do something and how would you explain it? Even the idea of cooking a great meal is broken up into leadership steps. You're leading somebody else to a final recipe that they can eat and enjoy. It's beautiful to think about your voice that way because it actually gives you more confidence to share it with the world that way. And we will be impacted by you sharing your voice from that leadership space. And then the next thing is the outward leadership space from networking on LinkedIn. We are who we spend our time around. And we hear that all the time, but how that shows up on LinkedIn is how do you comment? How do you, what kind of posts are you engaging on? Are you enjoying giving your likes and comments to your peers? Or are you just trying to chase somebody who might be viral who may never give you any attention. I mean, I, I might not get the attention of Richard Branson or Sarah Blakely, but if you want and you look at their posts, you can also decide, I want to engage with the other people on their post because maybe you really like what Sarah Blakely says in her posts and you pay more attention to who is liking and commenting on her and then they become more of your peer connections and conversations. And you can launch from a real conversation versus just chasing visibility. I may not get Sarah Blakely's attention ever, but I can talk with other people who also like her and resonate with her voice and her message. Okay. So we have looking inward. We have figured out that we are indeed leaders. We are figuring out what our leadership voice is. We figure out who are our peers, who are the people we want to engage with, who are the people who resonate with us. From a practical standpoint, what's our next step? Yeah, practical steps is, and the practical step of commenting, and I'm just going to put Sarah Blakely in the hot seat again, or commenting on uh, Dino, is you are joining a room full of other people, other peers. So if you identify and you look at all of the guests, that Dino has had on his podcast. That's literally telling you a signal of who you spend time with. 
So if I then decide, you know what, I'm going to comment on your content, that's the first step. I want to do that type of commenting because I need to figure out where does my content go? And LinkedIn needs to know where does your content go? Where does it belong? Who are you talking with? So the next step is to take that conversation. If Dino makes a post about somebody on their podcast and they have a conversation and you hear this one quote from the conversation, you can turn around and make a post about that. It LinkedIn to me is none of us are saying something brand new, but what we're doing is we're continuing conversations to expand on the next step, expand on the next thought. When you are able to continue a conversation from seeing somebody else post on LinkedIn, what you're doing is you're actually merging onto the highway, the LinkedIn highway of content flow. We want to experience the additional information that you may have shared because you got inspired from Dino's post. That is like merging onto the internet highway, making sense to the platform. If the platform already wanted to talk about it, you're continuing the conversation. That is different than just sitting in a conference room in a bubble, deciding what you want to talk at the audience with. So I always tell people talk with us and having that with us energy is going to be a totally different experience than talking at the LinkedIn audience. And what are some of the key elements that people need to think about as they create the content that they want to post in terms of doing it in a genuine and authentic way? Well, I have a good uh, acronym. Do you want to go for it? Let's go for the acronym. Okay. So I go by the hashtag Fox Rocks. So hashtag Fox Rocks. And we've got the FOX is fun, original, extra. That's You don't have to do that. But I, I had to make something for the Fox. So fun, original, extra will always do well on LinkedIn. But if you're not ready for that, go for the rocks. You've got relatable. Humanize your content. Find relatable moments. Does not mean personal in the sense that you've exposed something that you would never want to say publicly. We have relatable moments every single day in our lives. We think it's very relatable that dogs bark or babies end up in the background or those are relatable moments that are not going to harm your business or cause a significant issue in trying to attract more conversations and quality business. So be relatable. Recognize that we all have the human experience. The O, share your opinion. It does not necessarily mean you have to have a hot opinion that is aggressive, but you could have a strong opinion saying, my opinion is, I don't know, pick something in your industry. My opinion is when podcasts get over 50 episodes, they're more likely to be successful. And here's a few things I've read on that. You don't have to know all the details, but you can have an opinion and you can say what you think about something that comes from your business and your experience. The C, R-O-C, is comment. Again, I do believe you should be able to take a comment and turn it into your content. So it's like a double C. Comments turn to content. If I was going to comment on Sarah Blakely because I got inspired by something she said, I would expand on my comment into a piece of content. And the next thing is K, share your knowledge. Break it up into three ways I would uh, launch a podcast or how to embed a podcast on LinkedIn. These are all pieces I've written and that is sharing your knowledge. And the last one is success. 
share milestones of success. I have worked with Steve Wiedemann and we created an image of all of his podcast pictures of all the people who were on his podcast in the first, I think, 15 episodes to celebrate reaching a milestone. We celebrate success in the office. We will celebrate success on LinkedIn. So R-O-C-K-S. That's great. And you can add the Fox if you want. Fun, original, extra. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And obviously the intent is always to provide value to people rather than aggrandize yourself. Yes. I love that people say value, but man, that's a hot take. I think value is really misunderstood because people forget what value is to other people and they post from a place of value to themselves. So you have to put yourself in the value of the audience member, the consumer. So, you know, in the networking process, somebody has gone through, put out good, authentic content. Obviously, you know, the hardest step is how do you reach out to people that you want to connect with? How do you find the right people to connect? And how do you form genuine connections? When I think about this and I break it up into steps, step number one would be to recognize that it can take 10 to 20, 30 touch points before somebody has warmed up to you, especially if you're starting cold. So this energy around converting by the third message or third direct message, that is why people get told they're being spammy, they are inauthentic. So pause that activity. It sounds like it's a long play to think, oh, I have to do 10 to 20 to 30 touch points. I would say on LinkedIn, you're best served by creating what I call the tipping point relationships, where you've networked to people in your industry who have already connected with your ideal client and your ideal audience. If you're networking with a connector in your industry, I will give you an example from when I was growing my environmental consulting business. I researched who all the past presidents for the National Association of Environmental Managers. They had already spent time and energy connecting to all of the people that are part of that organization. I would say most of the past leadership and presidents of those national associations that you're a part of have spent a lot of time connecting with the members of that organization. So if you want to get in front of the membership without going one by one by one by one, connect with past leaders. They're not necessarily the current leaders, but they've already been in the past. You may get access to seeing who's active in that leadership membership area and be able to get referrals and get more relationships built One by saying, hey, I know you know XYZ, would you be willing to do a introduction or a warmer connection or being able to say, oh, we both know Dino. I think there was actually, this is a good example, Dino. You had reached out to me and said recently like, hey, uh, this is where I'm at with my podcast and let's catch up. And what's interesting is a call, somebody who wanted to book a call with me, and I looked and I saw they were just on your podcast. And so I turned around and said, actually, we both know Dino and here's the connection and here's the thread. So because we both know you, we both felt like this would be a better call. Doesn't mean we're going to work together, but it sets the initial relationship up better because we both were able to say, oh yeah, you know Dino. Oh yeah, he's great. And that mutual connection moment is powerful on LinkedIn and it has to be authentic. You can't just say, I know Dino and you don't really know him. Like that doesn't make any sense. 
A quick question on something that you said earlier, just to clarify for our audience. When you're talking about 20 to 30 touch points, is that direct messages or is it more something like comments, people seeing you in their feed, maybe people reacting to your comments and your posts? Yes, I count everything micro and macro touch points uh, just as a touch point. So some of them are stronger touch points than others. But yes, a direct message is one touch point. The following somebody because you saw them and sending a connection message or just clicking follow is a touch point. Commenting on their post, touch point. Them seeing your post in their newsfeed, touch point. So it does add up. I would say some touch points may literally give you 10 touch points. I, let me think through the, the number I would give it, but maybe a somebody who sees me on this podcast reaches out and says, I heard you on Dino's podcast. I want to have you on my podcast. So this touch point is equivalent. Me and you, it's equivalent to somebody getting 20 to 30. If they listen to a whole podcast episode, that is an intense touch point. You've experienced a conversation versus just a micro moment that's a sentence in a direct message. So you're doing good. This is a good touch point. <laughs> Final question on this LinkedIn genuine networking. What are some do's and don'ts of direct messaging in LinkedIn? The first don't, let's start with the don't and go to the do's. So don't assume that people have time to scroll these long messages. People write sometimes the, the first message and it's so long. And I, as a consumer brand, like first touch point, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't know why it pertains to me. And I don't have time to figure out what's happening here. So the do, keep your messages super, super short. The goal is to get a micro yes, to be able to send them another message that maybe explains it. We don't always have to explain in the first message. Get the yes to get permission to explain yourself if you need to. So yes, go for the micro yeses at the beginning of any direct message relationship. When another don't is don't assume that people or send people external links, uh, especially because the power you can have on LinkedIn to feature the external link you wish people would click on, feature it on your profile. And then let people click over to your profile. So give them something to go to your profile for. That is a more powerful journey because it's creating a micro moment of trust. I don't want to click on somebody's random PDF that they send me, but they may say, by the way, I have a XYZ resource on my profile. And if you click on my profile, you can, you know, go download it. That may get me to do the journey versus I'm not going to click on a stranger's PDF because I could be a virus. It could be something that it is labeled something and it's not actually that. If I don't know you, I won't click on your external links. So I don't know who else is thinking like that, but I don't want to get a virus on my computer. <laughs> So what do you think, you know? I don't click on external links that people send me unless I have had a conversation before around those, definitely, especially in like DMs on any kind of social platform. Yeah, no. <laughs> so don't do that and do, the, the opposite is feature in your profile on LinkedIn, your external links. You can totally do that and send us to your profile to go find them. 
Uh, let's see some other do's and don'ts. Do you need more? If you have good ones, we'll take them. <laughs> I would say the next do, and here's where I think I'm a little bit different, is I do reply to people who try to just kind of be not as authentic. So say, for example, I get a message that says, hey, we just connected. Let's grab a 30-minute call. The way I reply is I have a template because that one is obviously trying to sell me. And I hold space and kindness for realizing there are so many businesses and so many employees that are being told to do that. I have sat in those marketing and business development meetings where they literally say, here's what we're going to send to new connections and we want to give them our calendar so we can book a call. And I know that that doesn't work. We're not going to click on their external link. But I reply with a template message that says, thank you so much for reaching out. The best way to get a hold of me. And then I insert an alternative. It reminds me of a stranger soliciting at my door. If I have somebody knocking on my door of my home, I would say to them, and maybe I'd open the door, I don't know, but I may open the door and say, hey, I don't have time right now to talk. You can leave your business card at my mailbox. And thank you. So that's the equivalent to me of giving that template message. It's already written. I don't have to write it. I just have a shortcut on my computer and it auto sends it. You brought up a really interesting point, which is the openness to people who are reaching out to us on LinkedIn. What are some of the benefits of that? Because there's so many posts, you know, when you go on LinkedIn, there's always the posts of the people that complain about the fact that LinkedIn is too spammy, that too many people are reaching out to them. What are the benefits of being open to people reaching out to us? The benefits I've seen has been sustainability, is realizing that sometimes people are being told by their bosses and management that they have to do LinkedIn a certain way. And sometimes I think it's the shift in the economy and the world that at some point they may circle back and say, wow, I didn't realize I was being that spammy or I realize now that that doesn't work. And I think the longer term goal I have is coming from that place of kindness. I can't get back to everybody, but I could have a template that at least gives people kind instructions without trying to teach them how to use LinkedIn. I'm only teaching them how I best communicate. And that may start to generate a change. Again, I've realized with, again, one more phrase, radical ownership, I can only own my journey on LinkedIn and how I choose to have that journey. I can never control other people and their journey. That's fabulous. So if people want to find you, where are the best place to find you? Obviously, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. <laughs> the number one thing and way to find me is to use J-U-D-I-F-O-X. And I do have a website. It's J-U-D-I-F-O-X.com. And you can get to all my social handles from that. So J-U-D-I-F-O-X.com. Yes, that is the key. Is the I. Is the I. Judy <laughs> with the I. And then obviously follow the hashtag Fox Rocks. Yes. I've been really excited. It's been very powerful to have that hashtag. I think it's already over a thousand followers, which people might think, well, that if you've ever read, I think Pat Flynn has a book called A Thousand, I'm looking at my bookshelf, A Thousand True Fans. I, I just know that a lot of people have talked about how 
a thousand is a powerful number. A hundred is a powerful number. One is a powerful number. We forget that one connection, one person can make a difference in your life and your business. That's great. So let's move on to the personal questions. The first one is what's a hobby or passion outside of your work that you have and maybe that has impacted your work? I would say it's been a consistent hobby and passion is hiking and being outdoors, even if that is how it informed where I live. I live on a dead end street that goes right into a park and it has miles of trails in the woods. And even though I may not be able to drive to the mountains or go, I can literally leave my home. And that's why I bought the house that I have and why it informed the rest of my world. I believe we all gain from those moments of a break and being outside. We're meant to be in the air and in the sun as much as possible to refresh ourselves. So I love that. I love any time I can be outside. Fabulous. Second question, which is my favorite question. It's there are business expression jargons that at some point get overused. Which is the one that drives you crazy? Hmm. I have a bunch. (laughs) Fire away. I would say the first one that's coming up for me is imposter syndrome. And the reason why it drives me crazy is because it puts the blame on that person without recognizing all of the impacts that society can have, the systemic issues that are happening in this world. And I will give you an example. I just, I'm speaking in an event coming up. It's a very big event. It could have maybe 2,000 people in the audience listening to me, which I think is huge and I'm excited for it. And and this is hard to talk about because it just happened. One of the sponsors removed all the images of women speaking at this event. They left the images of the men and they removed all the women. And because of their... I won't even describe why, but when I think about imposter syndrome, that is not recognizing that I literally am facing being deleted sometimes, being less than, being told by removal of my image that I should not exist as a woman speaker on stage. And that to me is shocking that it still happens, but I cannot listen to somebody telling me that I have imposter syndrome. So delete that. (laughs) And then the second word is limiting beliefs. You're the only one that knows your beliefs and what you're thinking about. And I think that's just triggering language to make you want to buy whatever the person is trying to sell you. Thank you. This is actually very helpful. Final question, food for the body or food for the soul. If you want to go the body route, you can choose a dish or a drink that you love. Or if you want to go the soul route, a book, a piece of music, a movie, a piece of theater, a piece of art, a painting, something that you love and that inspires you? So I will tell you what I consume on a very regular basis, and it comes from a space of interior design. And so when it comes to what I consume, I have all of my TikToks. I'm constantly scrolling if I'm on there. And it's just inspiration before and afters of people's homes. So to me, my whole home can be a piece of art and a place that I walk into that has a mood, a feeling. And so I've worked on myself installing uh, custom and I made custom cabinets in my home that go all around my bookshelves and 
I was inspired because of watching people's TikToks and also inspired by watching women do these DIY projects and getting all of the tools to be able to do it and work with my hands. So to me, when I look across, like right as I'm sitting here, I can look at a bookshelf that I built myself and I can say to myself, that is art. That is art to me because of how it's been decorated, it's been presented, and it can beautifully display all of my family photos and things that I love. And my dog that passed away is on that shelf, beautifully um, represented. And I get goosebumps just knowing and I stare at my own bookshelves because I think it feeds my soul knowing that I, the love that went into it and the love of choosing how I've displayed everything that I've accomplished and everything that I love. That's great. Judy, thank you so much for everything you've done for me. And thank you for being on the podcast. I'm very excited that you're here to see this point of a journey that you were at the start of. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode when they get released. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews like Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please leave us a stellar rating and a review. Don't forget to stay tuned through the credits because at the end I will play another song by Susan Cattaneo, one of Boston's best singer-songwriters. You can find more information about Judy and all the links to find her on the episode page on the podcast website at al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com and please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Look for the handle at al4edp with the letter D. On Facebook, follow us at Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, arranged, and recorded by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And yes, if you're curious, Jesse Williams is indeed the bass player from the North Mississippi All-Stars, and so he is nominated for a Grammy. And now, enjoy Pennies on a Rail by Susan Cattaneo. Bakersville was barely on the map Just a main street and birds, gas and gold Mom taught high school, said listen to your dad But all dad said was no Now me and Freddie used to hang by the tracks Hoping to catch some magic chugging on past In cold cars the color of rust We'd reach in our pockets and we just Put those pennies on the rail We laughed and didn't care Two kids with too much time
me, then pull me in close. 